The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, myself, Bully Ray, and Mark Henry recap SmackDown, which was a great episode of SmackDown this past Friday. Speaking of my Hall of Fame host, we have a Hall of Fame guest. The Godfather joins us with some great stories of The Undertaker. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. So you've transitioned nicely since uh, leaving the world of professional wrestling, huh? Seems like you're well, very the happy. Is, it, the thing about me is I always had something else besides wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked in strip clubs all my life. I, actually, I eventually bought into Cheetahs in Las Vegas. I was one of the owners. The whole time that I was wrestling, I always had money coming in from Cheetahs. So that's one reason you would see me come and go so much is because, and I'm just going to be honest, I was there to have fun. Of course, make some money, but I was there to have fun. And back then, I wanted to be around big, strong, crazy people that were just as stupid as I was. And I wanted, and it was fun being around those type of people. So because the fact that I always had a means of making money, when I was not having fun, I'm like, hey, man, I'm wrestling the Dudley Boys, going through a table every night. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, this traveling. Man, I could be at home looking at naked women making just as much money. So that's why you'd see me come and go is because when I wasn't having fun, I'd, I'd go to Vince and say, hey, Vince, I ain't having fun, man. And Vince be Charles, okay, Charles, okay. I'd be like, nah, man, I want to go home, you know. And so I would leave. He goes, well, go on home and let us know when you want to come back. And I swear, I wouldn't call him back. And they'd call me and say, hey, Charles, uh, what about this? Hey, but I'd be like, no. No, it got to the point it'd be funny because I just keep telling them no. And then they didn't and then Taker would call me or something, say, Hey man, come on, buddy. Uh, I'm like, no, nah, take I ain't doing that, you know. So anyway, that's why you'd see me come and go so much. Godfather, speaking of big, strong, crazy guys, and speaking of the Undertaker, uh, we all know that you and and uh take very, very good friends. We recently saw him Brother. last week on NXT, giving everybody the rub and closing out the show. Tell us about your relationship with the dead man these days. Talk to us about your friendship and what it's like today. Well, I after seeing that, I called him and I told him, I said, hey, bro, you better be careful. You're going to take out those brand new knees. <laughs> he said, nah, nah, nah. I just did Sean a favor. <laughs> and uh our relationship now it's always been we're we're not wrestling bros we're not, i mean we're brothers man and i love that dude and we met each other in 87 and uh i had a lot to do with changing the way he is for the better and uh, we just became bros man and to this day very seldom do we ever talk wrestling we talk about our kids we talk about guns we talk about motorcycles we talk about life 
but the whole time that I known him, unless it was something very serious that just happened, um, we've never talked wrestling. Even to this day, we don't talk wrestling. Hey, bully, this is gonna trip you out. Godfather showed me a picture of dead man with no tattoos. Yeah, yeah, way back when he didn't he didn't have tattoos when they met. What? Godfather, when you say help change, quote unquote, change him for the better, like, can you give us a little more on that? Like, okay. what do you what do you mean? Well, we, we got to go back a little bit. At the time that I got into wrestling, I mean, I'm a biker. I'm not no pretend weekend biker. I'm a patch wearing biker. And I'm used to being around big white dudes with tattoos that were kind of like me, but uh, I'm not used to being around big white dudes that aren't, aren't bikers or tattoos or drink whiskey or listen to country music or shoot guns, all that type of stuff. So when I met Taker, I was a little leery of him. I'm like, oh, here we go. Another one of them big white dudes. And I was the type of dude that you said the N-word or something out of line with me. I just cracked it. That's how it was. And I'm like, oh, I'm about to crack this dude. So we wrestled. Mind you, I'm as green as green can be. <laughs> so I wrestled Taker. The match goes horrible. Um, it was almost like a shoot to me to where I shot him into a turnbuckle one time. And uh, the turnbuckle, the top turnbuckle exploded. It, it exploded. And we, I got on him again, and then I tried to shoot him into that same turnbuckle with it missing. He reversed, throws me outside, grabs the chair, hits me with this chair as hard as you can. I see stars. He looks at me and says, you want to do this the easy way or you want to do this the hard way? And I said, I think we'll do this the easy way. And then we became good friends. But when I met him, Baker didn't uh, – I got in a car with him, and he was listening to, like, Motley Crue and – Metallica, shit like that. And I'm like, dude, what, what are you listening to, bro? And I'm like, Mark, you know, I, I something I didn't know, Mark Henry listens to country music. You surprised the hell out of me, all the country music you know. And so I, I got him into to country music. He didn't drink Jack Daniels. I'm like, big dog, you got to drink Jack, man. So he started <laughs> Jack Daniels. Um, he didn't so have you a say you was a good influence, but a bad yeah. influence. Well, his Hall of Fame speech, he says, <laughs> I don't know if he's a good influence or bad, but he's been a big influence on me. And so he didn't ride Harleys. I had to teach him how to ride a Harley. He didn't have any tattoos. So I said, next time you come to Vegas, I don't care. You're getting tattooed. So me, him, and Paul Bear went down and got him tattooed. Hell's Angels were there. It was a cool situation, man. What but was his, wow. what was his first tat? That's his first tat. I wish I could send you the picture. Yeah, him, me, him, and Paul Bear is there, and he's sitting there, no tats, white skin. He, most people don't know he's a redhead, but that red beard, getting tattooed. But uh, yeah, man, that's uh, that's my bro. That's awesome. I mean, for you, and it's funny to hear you say that you got into this business for fun. Was I mean to make some money too? But it was really just about fun. And when you did that, and I guess that took the stress off because you're a Hall of Famer. Like, you're, you've had a career where people are going to talk about it 25, 50 years down the road. Like, how does that make you feel? Something that you kind of went in blind and um, were so successful and so remembered for. I went in blind, but I was serious about my work when I was there, even as the good father. I mean, I was very serious about it, but I was, I mean, I had, I was more, the fun was more at nighttime with me in, in the BSK and everything that we did. 
But um, I mean, I took my job serious and I, and I tried hard. And even as a good father, like I said, I tried hard. But I was there for the experience and, and wrestling came to me. I wasn't even a wrestling fan. I didn't even watch wrestling. You know what I watched? I'm older than you guys. Roller Derby. In the 70s, I grew up in the 70s in uh, Northern California. And, and, and Roller Derby was much bigger than wrestling, way bigger than wrestling. They'd be at the Cow Ballast, Haystack Calhouns and Ray the Crippler and people like that. They would draw half a house and Roller Derby come here and sell it out. And so wrestling kind of came to me. They were filming a movie called Over the Top. It was a Sylvester Stallone movie, arm wrestling movie. Scott Norton, a bunch of guys were in this movie. I was the manager, bartender, doorman, everything at this strip club called Crazy Horse, right down the street from the MGM where they filmed. Well, they would all come in. I don't know everybody's name. Most of the guys were extras. They're like, dude, you should know me. And at that time, I'm just jacked, dude. I'm, 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 I'm powerlifting. I'm, anyway, so I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that wrestling stuff. And they're like, you know Bam Bam Bigelow? And I'm like, the dude with the tattoos, yeah, I know him. They go, well, he made over a million dollars last year. And I went, wrestling? <laughs> Boy. Made that call right then, you know, and so <laughs> quickly, I, I called uh, Larry Sharp was God rest his soul was the uh, he trained uh, Bam Bam at the Monster Factory. So I called him back then. There was no cell phones and you couldn't just send a picture, that type of stuff. So when I showed up, dude, I'm, I'm every bit of 340, you know, tattooed Mohawk and Larry Sharp just looked to be like this. And, and that's where I got my start, man. How long wow. did you spend in the Monster Factory before you went out there and started uh, doing it? I, I hate to say this, but you guys know me. You know what the Godfather's like, and that ain't no gimmick. You guys know I am what I, I am. Ain't no gimmick. Okay, so instead of going to... Huh? Two weeks. <laughs> instead of going to wrestling school, I'm taking guys out to strip clubs, picking up girls, bringing girls back to that. I think I went maybe six seven times this is what i knew how to do i knew how to lock up and for some reason i could do a drop down toe hold because i think i was there that day they were working on it well what happened is gary lawler seen me and guys i was a monster i mean i was just black tattooed chew tobacco list the country i was so different they didn't know what the hell to do with me and so jerry lawler seen me put me to work Never had a match, never had a practice match, never learned anything. And Jerry Lawler told me, I got in the ring with Jerry for a little while. He goes, just listen to me. He goes, do everything I tell you to do. And that's what I did. And it went pretty good, but I did whatever Jerry told me to do, I did. And then when they were done with me, with that program was over, they didn't know what to do with me because I'm green. That's when they brought Taker in. And we had such a terrible match that they made us tag team partners because they said Taker can maybe help teach you. And uh, they called us Death Express. And we had a short run, but then Taker went to WCW. And then I went to work for Otto Vons in Germany for a year. And, uh, you know, we met back up with the WWF at the time. When you were working with uh, Lawler, I'm assuming it's Memphis. What was your gimmick name then? I was the Soul Taker. Gotcha. Which is actually this tattoo on my arm right here. They're thinking of a name for me, and they're like, well, what's the name of that 
tattoo on your arm. I'm the only all my I don't know if you ever noticed this, but all my tattoos got naked women on them. <laughs> yes. And so I said, that's the soul taker. It takes women's souls. And they said, I like that. Let's call you the soul taker. How did you get your shot with WWE and who gave you the and who made the call? Um I would assume Mark told him, uh, hey, I want you to check out my buddy. They gave me a call. I just got back from Germany. And, you know, I want to hear a weird thing. When I was over, you guys know Otto Vons, of course. God rest yeah. his soul. Listen to the card that was over there. Me, Scott Hall, Owen Hart, Chris Benoit, Fit Finley, Dave Taylor, Salvatore Bolomo, um, PM News. That's all the guys that were working there for eight months. And those guys are the ones that really helped me because over there you wrestle in rounds. You don't wrestle in rent, you know. And so uh, they really they really brought me along there. I went, I got a trial with WWE in Arizona. I went down there and they, uh, they, they called me Sir Charles because that's where Charles Barkley was playing. And they wanted to put some heat on me. They called me Sir Charles. I got my tryout. Vince hired me. They told me we're going to put you on payroll. We just, they says, but our problem with you is you got a body of a monster, but you have a baby face. And they said, we don't, we, we got to do something with your face. And they called me a couple months later and Vince says, Charles, I want you to rent the movie Live and Let Die. There's a voodoo character in there. And he goes, and most importantly, I want you to get down his laugh. The, <laughs> that laugh, the Uncola guy. So, I mean, that's where it started. So I went from being this hardcore biker dude to being a voodoo man. <laughs> wow, I can't Were believe you? that how similar our story is. Like yeah. I had oh, never really? wrestled. I never wrestled a day in my life. And they put me with Jerry Lawler. And I my first match was a pay-per-view at in your house with Jerry Lawler. I had never locked up with nobody. That's because anybody that's Anybody that's anybody in this business that's older started with from Hogan. To, uh, doesn't matter how far rock, no matter how far you go. Everybody started in Memphis with Jerry Lawler. And that's the shoot. He's done more for wrestling than anybody breaking in new talent. I bet you. I, I don't have and, no and, doubt and, and I don't think there was anybody who could get more out of less than Jerry. Because look at all the green guys he brought in. And it worked. Yes. Yeah. Mala, I mean, bam, everybody has gone through there. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, it's Howard Bender from the Andy Up Podcast. Every weekday, Adam Ronis and I serve you up the picks, plays, and fantasy information needed to win your bets. You know, this isn't just your average sports betting show, though, for one very good reason. We won't tell you what to do unless we've already done it ourselves. That's right. We put our money where our mouths are, so we're just as invested in each bet as you are. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Bully and Mark, we've heard a lot of the taglines come from L.A. Knight, but you go back to Friday and what L.A. Knight was saying to Roman Reigns. You got 
a lot more than just that. It wasn't just a scratch-the-surface moment for L.A. Knight. He talked about how he deserves to be where he is. He talked about how Roman Reigns has been sitting on his couch and he's been away. I think the last time we saw Roman Reigns was the Monday after SummerSlam. So it's been a long time since we've seen Roman Reigns. And Mark, you and Denise talked about this on Saturday. And as much as I liked Roman in that segment, as much as I liked L.A. Knight in that segment, I do have a bone to pick with what I saw on Friday night. And that was John Cena. As good as I thought L.A. Knight was on the microphone was as bad as I thought John Cena was in the background. And I think it definitely took away a little bit from what L.A. Knight was saying on the mic on Friday night. It Go ahead. Time out, time out, time out. Mark, before you answer, Dave, can you just explain why you didn't like John Cena? I just want to get the full scope of this. Just because his overacting, the facial expressions, what he was doing while L.A. Knight was talking to Roman Reigns. The number okay, one cool. thing, Okay, cool. Thank you. Mark, go ahead. Was, the number one thing was drawing attention to himself. Yes. You cannot... When something is going on in the ring, I remember I did that with Ron Simmons one time. Once. Because he said, shut the fuck up on TV. (laughs) Like, don't move. Don't say anything. Like, I'm working. And I drew attention away from him. And I wasn't supposed to say nothing, so I shouldn't have said nothing. And why not have John Cena, it, once that introduction and all that happened, they should have found a way to get him out of there. That's because, never going to happen. Well, I, we, we know the obvious reason why, because he's John Cena. But the only other option is for him to, like, this is not my business. I'm just going to stand here. I'm a fly on the wall. And just stand there. But all of the antics and the, hey, look at me, it, it took away from the segment. A- am I wrong? No. And, 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 Bully, I want to get your take on this. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about this. And I want to get the nation's take as well. Listen, John Cena has done a lot for L.A. Knight. You know, go back to Fastlane and that tag match. That elevates an L.A. Knight. Even with John Cena starting... And, and Bully, the way John Cena started the segment where, like, Roman comes out and was like, wait a second, you're not starting my show. This is my show. And then John Cena is like, I'm not here to challenge you. I'm here to acknowledge you. You're the champion. I have not earned the right to challenge you for that championship. And then he introduces. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he introduces L.A. Knight. Like, everything that John Cena has done since coming back to that moment is amazing, is perfect, and has helped L.A. Knight. So I got to give John Cena credit because it is John Cena. So up until the moment that we're about to talk to, what John Cena has done for L.A. Knight, I I think even L.A. Knight would turn around and shake John Cena's hand and say thank you. But now you set L.A. Knight up for that moment where he's on the microphone face-to-face with Roman Reigns. Now it's L.A. Knight's moment. Even John Cena acknowledges the fact that it's L.A. Knight's moment. That's where he needs to be in the background and not noticed. 
But like to Mark's point, Bully, John Cena made himself notice. And, I, and I'll even go as far as to say this. It reminded me of some of the things I didn't like about John Cena. Let's, let's face it. John Cena, since he's come back, the fans love John Cena. When John Cena was the star of the WWE, that crowd was about 50-50 on John Cena. He had John Cena chance, John Cena sucks chance. It was, it was split down the middle. John Cena's a star. But some of the things that John Cena did during that segment kind of reminded me of why at times fans would boo a John Cena. And he took a moment for LA Knight to shine. And I took, I think, took some of that shine away and made it seem less serious, Bully, because his facial expressions, like those weird facial expressions, the gyrations, the jumping up and down, the overacting, I think took a little bit of the seriousness of what was coming out of L.A. Knight's mouth away from him. And it's a bit of a shame because it was a great moment to start off SmackDown on Friday. So, normally... I would agree with the both of you wholeheartedly. And Mark, everything that you're saying is right because that's what the both of us were taught in the world of the WWE. Never never be a distraction. Don't take eyes and ears off of the other person. Yada, yada. I completely get it. But one of you tell me what did you see or what did you hear by John Cena's antics that took attention away from L.A. Knight? I don't think it took attention away Wait, in the... look at how you already started. No, but you're not, you're not letting me finish. I don't think... Let me... Are you going to... You asked me a question. Are you going to let me answer it or not? Dave, don't get pissed off for no reason. I was just analyzing the first couple of words that you're saying. In just your first couple of words, you're already going down the road of, I don't think it took attention away, where you opened with, I, I don't think it, I don't think it took it. I don't think it took much attention away from the people that are in the arena, but it definitely took attention away from the people who are watching home on, t- on television, for sure. If that is your opinion, I'll respect it. Like I said, nine out of ten times I agree. What what was John Cena reacting to? He was reacting to what L.A. Knight was saying, right? Yes. What I thought he was doing is reinforcing. Because if I'm at home and I see John Cena popping for what L.A. Knight said to Roman Reigns... I'm more likely to pop too. It's a very, very subliminal thing that goes on within pro wrestling. If Cena is not there and LA Knight says something that's disrespectful to the tribal chief because they hold the tribal chief in very high esteem. So it would be very easy for LA Knight to say something to him and the people go, Ooh, you haven't been around long enough to get away with that. But if he says something that's a little edgy and Cena's eyes go wide or Cena pops for it and goes, oh, Mark, you were talking with Denise about a wrap off, I believe, on Saturday. Right. You've been out like I've been in my shirt wrap off. You know that when somebody hits a line and the boys go, oh. 
I'm, you're popping because everybody else is popping. You're kind of following the rest of the herd. You're kind of like a sheep. And I don't mean sheep in a bad way in those situations. So the live crowd was reacting the way we wanted them to. The home crowd, if they see John Cena popping for the LA night joke, they're going to want to pop for the LA night joke. And that's why I think Cena was in the background doing this stuff to lend credibility. Cause if Cena pops for the burn, we all pop for the burn. See, I, I agree with everything you're saying bully, but here's it's the just issue. The overproduction of it. It, it was like, like, if, yeah, because what Mark is saying is a hundred percent right bully. Cause if you're saying something, if you're talking, and you're being serious. This is your opportunity. This is your first real opportunity to be fun, be in front of the world champion. And you're talking to him. And I'm behind you. And you're saying to me, Dave, I just need you to reinforce what I'm saying. React to what I'm saying. Because there's going to be an audience watching on TV. Because that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think that that the the audience and attendance could really see. I think this was more for the camera and more for the TV audience bully. But if I am going, if I'm going like, if I'm overacting and I'm making like, and I'm making it really obvious, like where it's like what, what you're saying is almost like a joke. That's how I felt that John Cena came across on Friday. It was way too much. Like, it's one thing if you, if you gave a burn and you're like, and you back up or you, or your mouth or like you a go, wow. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Put your mouth. Yeah. Put your hand over your mouth. Hand and over like, your oh. mouth. That's not the way he was doing it, Bully. The way he was doing it was like... Bully, he was... I, I, I know. I saw... Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. a big pantomime. Oh, it took away from it, almost like it was... It a, like, away. what he was saying was a joke. Like, you said something, and this is this is where I, I found, like, just what you said is the way I thought of it. Because you said, Bully, like, if he makes a joke, like... He made what L.A. Knight was saying was like as if it was a joke, and it wasn't a joke. This was his one time to stand toe-to-toe to Roman. There was no joke there, and I felt like John Cena made it seem like it was a joke to me. In, in my, my opinion, in the WWE's eyes, uh, Cena is left out there for two reasons. Obviously, if Cena is on your TV, you're sticking on it. It's there mm-hmm. for a ratings, uh, a ratings uh, ploy. Spike, Secondly, yeah. I think he's there to react to everything that LA Knight says to get it over even more, to make the people at home understand even more that if John Cena is popping for it, you should be popping for it too. However... I will. I, I, I'm not even going to necessarily agree, but I see your point of view when it comes to him being too over the top with his reactions, where instead of reinforcing the point of, wow, he really got you, Cena is like making a mockery of the lines. Right. Th- thank you. O- o- overreaction. That's it. But, uh, That's but, all but- it was. And but Bully just said it, and that's how it came across to me. Bully is it was almost like he was mocking what he was saying. That's how like I felt like a little over the line. And I think and I think Bully and I understand what you're saying about having the credibility of John Cena there. I kind of think that you had John Cena there. He was the one 
that started the segment. He was the one that said, I don't I don't deserve it. I haven't earned a shot at your title, but this man has, and LA Knight comes out. I think that was enough. Like, I think right there, John Cena has already given LA Knight the shine. I think, I think John Cena could have been completely out of the shot at that point because you've introduced LA Knight. You put the shine on LA Knight. Now give LA Knight the opportunity to live or die on the microphone. LA you Knight. Also no, him. no. Don't give him the opportunity to live or die. That is not the way to think. Because now there's a 50% chance he's going to die. And thus you've shot yourself in the foot just by saying, well, live or die against Roman. Well, if he can't, if, but, but bully, you, if he you're can't... not giving your talent the best opportunity to live, you just put LA Knight in a 50 50 situation where if he fails, he has failed up against Then he shouldn't Roman. be in that opportunity. No, then he shouldn't have that, that opportunity. Not true. Because he's true. had enough time. Well, first of all, he shined. So it doesn't really, it's, it's, it, it's not even a, a, a conversation because he shined. I feel like John Cena took away from that shine. So what you're saying is, like, if he's not able to do it, you have John Cena to be there as his backdrop. But I think by having him shine, which he did, it really hurt him having John Cena behind him. I do not feel that it did. But if I'm going to put L.A. Knight in the ring with Roman Reigns, and we know that they have confidence in L.A. Knight right now, but L.A. Knight is a bunch of taglines, correct? Yeah. Yes. We, we did get some bottom end, some base, some meat from him up against Roman uh, on Friday night. But to yes. leave him out there with the potential that he could get eaten up by Roman is not a smart idea. So what do we do? We leave Cena out there with him. That's how you protect stars from themselves. That's how you make stars. It, so it, he was it's in a case to of emergency break glass. Correct. Mark, you were surrounded by God. When you first started in the nation, did you look like you belonged? No. No, yes, you did. Well, yes, I looked because, like I belonged, but 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 you couldn't handle the microphone. But you did. But you didn't belong. But you didn't belong because you were so young in the business. But you fit the mold of what the group was. But you were insulated with guys that just in case Mark Henry had to stick, or just in case we had a spot for Mark Henry and Mark Henry happened to fumble on that day, we had Ron Simmons there. We had the Godfather there who could just take the stick away, even D'Lo. I'm not even going to mention Rocky because Rocky is as young as you at the time in the business. Yeah. So we got three other veterans there to insulate you guys just in case you fell down. Same thing with L.A. Knight and, and John Cena. Cena's there just in case L.A. Knight falls down. and This way he doesn't lose any steam in the fans' eyes. Bully, so okay, what do I you do it. now? What do you do now? Like, you have to break away. At some point, you have to break away from John Cena. Was that the break-off uh, Friday night at SmackDown? A considerable step forward. Yeah, it's it's a it's a little bit different, Dave. When uh, you start to banter back and forth, um, that's what I was saying on Saturday. 
with the sound bites and getting the crowd hype and making the acknowledgement and, uh, you know, face-to-face introduction with Roman is a lot more simple than if um, L.A. Knight would uh, approach Roman with the, uh, why are you sitting at home, uh, but and you had a lot of days under your belt, but not a lot of matches. And then people go, oh, really? And then Roman said, oh, I know who you are. You're that knockoff version of my cousin. Oh, ho, ho. now when those those things start happening back and forth, you have to be glib. You have to be aware of yourself. And you got to be aware of, you know what? I got to go toe-to-toe with this guy. Miz is the best at it. It's like I think Miz looks in the mirror for hours and just imagines himself in a one-on-one with anybody. That's how prepared he seems when Miz is out there. L.A. Knight is not there. You see what happened when he got in there with Miz. No, he got we, – we talked about it on the show that Miz – He got eviscerated. Yeah, he did. He so really maybe did. they learned by that. Maybe they saw what happened with L.A. Knight and the Miz, and they said, okay, we know this L.A. Knight kid is getting over. We know we want to do something with him and Roman, maybe even go to Crown Jewel, but we're not 100% on him. What do we do as a company to protect him? Well, but let me ask you, Bully and Mark, if you're not sure, if like, in, and going back to what Mark just said about him going toe to toe with the Miz, and the Miz, you know, winning that battle handedly, if you don't think he's ready, don't then maybe do you wait before putting him in a position with Roman Reigns? I mean, you can't, you be- can't. because they, they, because you only the have line. the one opportunity. So yeah. like, so like, is it better, Bully? to wait before putting L.A. Knight there in a program with Roman Reigns if you're not sure that he's 100% ready? No, because you know he's been taking steps forward, whether that's big steps forward or baby steps forward. So as long as he continues to move forward, and oh, by the way, he's the number one merch seller right now in the company, it flip-flops between him and Cody. Yeah. So he's doing so well on merchandise. People are chanting like, Four of his taglines, right? You got to continue to move him forward, but you got to move him forward in a way where he's not going to expose himself. Right now, remember the tip of the iceberg um, analogy I gave about Jade Cargill? Mm-hmm. Yep. That is LA Knight right now, also. LA Knight is tip of the iceberg. What we're seeing is a guy who's got a lot of swagger who looks cool, who the people are into when they see him, who's got a couple of taglines. That's all tip of the iceberg stuff. Now, what lies beneath? Because what lies beneath is what's going to generate the real money for him and the company. And if we're, if we're worried about what lies beneath, let's take every necessary precaution to make sure that he does not stumble. It, I, I, think, I think Mark might 
understand, uh, not might, I think Mark understands this now that yeah, I've explained I it. it a lot more because he's seen it done to other guys or it, yeah. or maybe even with himself, you know, whatever. Like, why did, why did John Cena, why was in John Cena in the, in the, in Mark's retirement uh, spot? Why, why was he the guy, Mark? Because he had, one, he had the title and two, he was the guy. And he gave validation to everything that I was saying, and he was along for the ride. And by the time you picked him up and dropped him, they were ready to just they turn. Ready, the, yeah. You know, so you you put guys. But when he was on the apron with me. The only reaction that he did was spontaneous. Is he tried to give me the title, and I was able to go back and forth with him and go, no, I don't, I don't deserve that. Like, just like he just did. So, like, those were moments that were, that stuff wasn't planned. He stood there on the apron and he cried like everybody else. That was, that was the difference. If he would have been on the apron going, oh, overreacting, it would have took away from what I was doing. That's, that's what Dave is. But yeah, your, moment, your moment didn't call for any of that overreacting. And I'm not going to. I'm not right. going to sit here and argue or discuss the overreacting because I can see that point of view. I can see just on the surface why you guys would think like, that's too much. That's overreacting. But if if you remember what we were taught from day one in this business is that ring is our Broadway stage and you always yeah. want everything to be bigger. Right. So he right. gave us big reactions. That was he. He did what he was trained to do. Um, he also knew that I could handle my end. Um, if they are under the impression that L.A. Knight cannot, and he is a safety valve for L.A. Knight, then I can see why he did what he did. But it also felt like to me, watching it on Friday, like as if John Cena didn't have confidence that the fans were going to react at the way that they did, because. John, John Cena is over. John Cena is one of the greatest WWE superstars of all time. But LA Knight is hot right now. I don't think you needed that. I don't think you you were still going to get those reactions. Like I don't think that it it's because it of failed. Roman, Dave. It's because he's in the ring with Roman, and people like Roman. People cheer for Roman. People put the one in the air. It's not like Roman is looked at as this hated heel he's a heel that people want to see get defeated and we want to see the de the decline and the demise of roman's empire but if la knight goes up to roman and la knight is still a young buck within the wwe despite being a 40 year old man and he starts getting in roman's face going blah 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 yeah some people be like, oh, man, you don't talk to the tribal chief like that. He's he's about to break Hulk Hogan on the number three. Like, there's people that might take offense to uh, L.A. Knight being so brash with our tribal chief. <laughs>
Hey everyone, Jen Piacenti here, host of Sticks and Stacks, the podcast that brings you the very best action from the world of hockey and baseball. Each week, myself, Sean Drotar, and Nate Lundy will bring you our best picks and talk you through the props, bets, and fantasy advice that can help you become the best fantasy manager in your league or even just help you win some money. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app. Free for most subscribers. By the way, Bully, uh, Nick Aldis showing some of the same humor that he did on my roast, which you could watch right now on the Busted Open YouTube page that just went uh, live last week. So make sure uh, you subscribe and click on the notifications button and watch all our new videos that are on the Busted Open YouTube page. But even Dom Mysterio. How about the fact that Dom's getting booed out of the building? And I took a picture and I tweeted about it. Like, a mother actually covering her child's ears during because the boos were so loud. And then Triple H say, oh, wow, I've never been in a ring during this. I always thought they pumped in the boos, which I thought was absolutely hilarious by Triple yeah. H. What a segment well, on well, SmackDown. You don't understand, Dave. That's, that Triple H is trying to outsmart all of the internet wrestling fans by saying that because we all know that the WWE pipes in crowd noise for Dom. I can prove it because I watched it back like three times and I analyzed the audio. Morons. <laughs> Bully Ray, ladies and gentlemen. I was uh, in my mom's basement. Listen. Some people's mom's basements are furnished. Oh. <laughs> and she was making me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There. And then I was watching SmackDown and I was listening to, to the crowd noise and they definitely piped it in. You're good at that, boy. It really is. I but I don't think it would be I don't I don't think it would be peanut butter face. and jelly though. It'd be like those pizza poppers. What do they call those? Uh he made me an Elio's pizza crust bread. And I was watching SmackDown. And they pipe in all the crowd noise. It's not possible in 2023 to get that much heat and wrestling. Morons. So good. <laughs> so good. It's, it's funny how uh, your uh, internet uh, wrestling troll voice is very similar to uh, your WWE creative. <laughs> Uh, well, Melter said that it, it's not possible. Melter said it in, 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 in his in his sheet that 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 all that noise was enhanced and sweetened. This one's got a lisp to it. Yeah, there's a little bit of like a speech impediment. The office guy has no lisp. <laughs> but I think it's yeah, there, yeah, there you go. Thank you, thank you. So it's there's more of like the mouth breathing. In the first one, as opposed to the second one, I understand. There you go. Um, there but you I go. think it, I think it was proven by watching that segment that yes, fans love to boo Dom Mysterio. Let's just say this. Let's just say that when Dom first started getting the very audible boos from the crowd, maybe, maybe, maybe they sweetened the pot to get to the point where they're at now, where they don't have to sweeten the pot anymore. Those are all legitimate boos that Dom Mysterio is getting. There is no crowd noise piped in. There's no crowd boo. None of that is going on. We have heard from enough people who have called into the show. 
we have heard from enough people chiming in on the Twitter machine who were there live during any time Dominic's been out there who are saying, I can't even hear myself think because the booing is so loud. You know what? I'm at the point now. I don't even give a shit. If they are, I could I could care less because it works each and every time Don Mysterio is on my television. Now, Mark, Nick, all this is now your SmackDown general manager. What did you think of his first night on the job Friday night? I thought it, I thought it was incredible. I thought that Nick Aldis looks the part. He's a tall, handsome, statuesque gentleman that don't take shit off a lot of people. So when he says something, you look at it like, oh, okay, like that's what it is. He's an authoritative figure. And I think that he said it. There's going to be some changes. And I can't wait until one of those changes happen. And one of the wrestlers run up and they go, what the hell do you think you're doing? And And he's like, I'm doing what I feel like is best. If you got a problem with it, I can introduce you to the back of the line. Uh, no, no, I mean, we good, we good. And then it fucking burn off. Like, that would be so good because he can do that because he's 6'5". He's 240 pounds. He dresses, I mean, with the vest and... I mean, the three-piece suits, like, he's a Thorator. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, I think it's the perfect person. I love that, you know, it gives a different type of flavor to Monday nights and Friday nights with Adam Pierce as the general manager on Monday and then somebody completely different and Nick Aldis on Friday. And you talk about change. And the pompous any- accent. Yes. Well, I mean, that's just automatic, you know, if a lot of people are going to take it that way. But he already made a big change, and that is Kevin Owens. And, Bully, think about this. So we go from Sami Zayn kind of being the guy last year at this time. Then you see the tag team of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, them winning the tag team championship. And then now, obviously, that tag team is broken apart because Sami Zayn's going to be on Raw and Kevin Owens on SmackDown. Bully, what do you think of the breakup of Owens and Zayn right now? Um, I'm very indifferent to it. Uh, it, it doesn't phase me one way or the other. Uh, Sammy on his own, Kevin on his own, Sammy and Kevin together. Whatever Sammy and Kevin do works. They're very, very good. They're very talented. They're great in the ring. They're great backstage. They're promos, yada, yada, yada. So what? They're on different brands. It, uh, it, it didn't phase me nearly as much as the introduction of Nick. Because Nick is, Nick's been around long enough now. Nick has learned a lot along the way. This is Nick's real opportunity. Not that cachet. being the, huh? He has that cachet. Yes. Not that Nick being the NWA World Heavyweight Champion was not a real opportunity, or not that Nick being the TNA or Impact Impact World Heavyweight Champion was not a real opportunity, but this is a real opportunity. We, I have always said, Nick Aldis, as Mark was saying, 6'4", 200 and something, looks phenomenal, can talk can wrestle, 
can go. Every single tool is in Nick Aldis's toolbox. Some people get granted opportunities like this overnight. And some people have to sit for 20 years before opportunities like this come along. Nick's been grinding and grinding and grinding for a while now. Here's the opportunity. I think he is going to shine in his spot. And the beauty about Nick Aldis's spot is that not only can he look the part and speak the part of a GM, but if they ever asked him to wrestle, he could do it. And not that the wrestling world is going to want to see this, but if they ever decided to have the general manager of SmackDown wrestle the general manager of Raw, they can do it. Because Pierce is a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Nick is a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. And if they could ever tell a story where both GMs believed in their brand so much that they would lace them up one more time for the honor of SmackDown or lace them up one more time for the honor of Raw... Or be re- or, or be uh, on uh, respecting Survivor Series teams. They can always do it. So um, I wish Nick nothing but the best. He is beyond talented, and you know, remember the the, the line from a Bronx Tale guys that the you know the the you know. The worst thing in, in life is wasted talent. Nick Nick's talents was never were never wasted, but I don't think Nick's talents were ever used to his maximum potential. Now he's gonna get the opportunity to do that. And I, I, I think I think he's gonna succeed. I, I can't wait. And I love what you just said because we had this discussion when it came to Taz. Like there was a story where Taz was the backdrop and bully, you were always saying but yes, but Taz is not going to be able to step into the ring because it feels like this story is going towards that, but Taz is never going to be able to step into the ring. If there is ever a story, Mark, like you were alluding to as far as like a talent back-talking Nick or if there was some kind of angle or story, you could have Nick Aldis step into the ring and actually wrestle. That's where I think like that it gives so many different possibilities. And Bully, I didn't even think about it, but it's true. Adam Pierce is a former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. You know, he was a tremendous wrestler. He still looks like he's in great physical condition. If you ever wanted to get them both involved in a match, down the line, you could definitely do that. Uh, listen, it could be as early as Survivor Series where, you know, Adam Pierce puts together a team and Nick puts together a team. I wouldn't want to see it happen this quickly for Nick. I want to see Nick get acclimated and get familiar with the WWE universe. I want the WWE universe to see what Nick is able to do as a general manager. His talking, I love Nick is very, very witty. He always has been that son of a bitch had me dying at your roast when he was absolutely verbally eviscerating you. I couldn't stop laughing to the point where he had to turn around and go, you like that one, didn't you, bubs? <laughs> you, because I, I went back and watched it because that's available on the YouTube page right now. 
Like you had the, you were the ultimate laugher during the Rose Bully because you have that belly laugh. So you're giving that belly laugh. Is that a fat it, joke? No, it's not, sir. It's not a fat joke. Okay. <laughs> okay, keep going. <laughs> so like, Dory, you're right. Nick was kind of, Nick was amazing in that roast. And you talked about his quick wit. He used it in that in that uh, segment on Friday, like especially with Dom Mysterio. Like, if you're gonna give me that, I think Nick can play all those types of characters, and I think that's why he's gonna make for a great general manager. I'm sure, you know, Nick would have loved to have been a WWE World Champion or would have come to the world of the WWE to actually wrestle. To me, this is the next best thing. And at this point in his career, I think it's absolutely the best thing that he could do because he's going to be on TV each and every week on SmackDown. And guys, Mark, I'm I'm sure you have gone through this in your career also. Opportunity in the world of professional wrestling does not knock on your door loud. It doesn't come banging at your door. It comes in the form of a gentle tap, but you have to be in tune with that general tap to know what that opportunity sounds like. And when the WWE got in touch with Nick Aldis and said, hey, we'd like to give you a tryout as an agent. I'm sure Nick Aldis wasn't doing backflips, knowing that he's got the great one of the best bodies in the business. He's 6'4, looks the part, speaks the part. He's a former two-time world champion, yada, yada, yada. But he realized this is opportunity knocking in a very silent but different way. Busted open as part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.